Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. The name is Bear, Burl Bear, living legend of my own mind. Or as Mark C.G. Boyer says, the imaginary Burl Bear. Well, a couple weeks ago we had on uh, Charlie Wilhelm, whose book is called Wised Up. And usually I have the book before I have the guy on the show, but this was a situation where I didn't. But we faked it pretty good. I got the book, the brand new expanded edition. Sat down, read the... What a great book! This really is an excellent book. Absolutely fascinating. It's called Wised Up by Charlie, and uh, I got a kick out of the new cover, which I didn't have up on the, the True Crime website. I have the old cover, but it's the, it's the Charlie now standing in the same place <laughs> that the other cover was. <laughs> I wanted to have you back, Charlie. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, great book. Congratulations on it. I recommend it to absolutely everybody on Earth who's interested in true crime and the uh, transformation of uh, human beings, redefining of themselves. As Bob Dylan said, life isn't about figuring out who you are. It's deciding who you are today. <laughs> right, right, right. Something like that. Uh, you got some fascinating things in here that I want to pick up on. I hope you've read your own book. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, bro, the book's nothing compared to my life. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> It's one thing to read it, it's another thing to live it. That's right, yeah. And there's so much we could have written about it. You know, you can only fit so much in a book. Yeah, that's true. Otherwise, it gets so long and tedious that people say, why isn't this over? Right, right. War and Peace. War and Peace, yeah. Warren Buffett. Yeah, I know all of those. Uh, Okay, you, you mentioned in the book something we've all heard about. If I can remember the name of it. It's a... It's the lottery that's not the lottery. When you're playing the numbers, what's that called? Right. Bookmaking. Bookmaking. Yes, bookmaking. Because we're both authors, I think bookmaking is a good topic. (laughs) We've we've all heard about bookmaking, but none of us know how it works. But you do. Will you please explain for, you know, like bookmaking for dummies? Okay. Um... Well, they have, it's called, a, you can get a 6 and 20 book mm-hmm. or a 7 and 15 book. What's that? So here's how it works. For every $1,000 worth of business you bring in, if you if you say you want the 6 and 20 book, so for $1,000 worth of business you bring in a week, well, um, you get $600 if the, if the number hits, right? Yeah. And then what happens is you get a tip, right? Well, here in Maryland, um, the, the uh, lottery is 500 right, if you hit. So that person, you know, makes an extra hundred dollars who plays the number. Now the seven and fifteen book is is if you bring in a thousand dollars worth of um, worth of action, right? You you hand it off to your layoff guy. Um, anyhow, you get fifteen percent of the thousand, but they, you get paid seven hundred dollars towards the number on one of your customers. Well, so that's customer that's more it. than the state lottery pays. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And then here's what happens, too. You have an LO guy, which is a layoff guy, right? He generally can, he generally has a ton of money because see, people think that bookmakers can just take whatever numbers there are, you know, whatever amount of money. Like with me, I, I would hand it up to like 10000 a day, right, in action. Well, I, you know, so many people bet the same number. I had to lay it off to, I had to lay it off to someone else. So, you know, it's the layoff guy. Everybody lays off to everybody. Because you, you know, what I mean, you just 
you can't afford to take a thousand dollars on one number. You see what I'm saying? So you'll spread it out with other bookmakers. They do the same thing with you. Say another bookmaker has, um, you know, about you know, four hundred dollars on four twenty-nine. He doesn't want to hold all that. So what he'll do is find other bookmakers to take a piece of the action from. So it gets spread then, out. I mean, this is even the better part: is that you're a bookmaker, like uh, Billy and I were bookmakers, but we were also loan sharks. So we give people credit. We we were always said <laughs> we had a friend that sent out money, right? Well, we were the owners of the, the loan company. So, anyhow, the people would borrow the money. And so we started charging them juice on the money. Yep. <laughs> you there? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. You're making money coming and going. Oh, absolutely. I'm in the monopoly. And, and it's just not us. All, you know, most of the bookmakers I knew did that. Um, yeah, when I think, this is yeah. Mark. When I think of the, uh, a bookmaker... I think of sports betting and odds. You do well, the same thing with sports. Yeah. Yeah. So you make your money off the juice on sports. So um, how does the bookmaker, the bookmaker takes, um, let's say it's the Super Bowl and it's just a straight win or loss. So you, you come up with the odds for Kansas City and the odds for San Francisco. Are you talking about sports or are you talking about numbers? Sports. Sports book. Sports. Right, so well, how, how, does the bookie, be, how does the bookie It make used to money? be when I, was, when I was in the gig there, here's what would happen. We had a guy in Las Vegas, Pat. All the bookmakers would pay him $100, right, each week, and he'd find out what the, the spreads were. So this guy, you know, he had 50 bookmakers. He made 5000 a week. Just by getting the odds. This is the days before computers and all that. Got it. Yeah, so that, you know, I mean, he, he did well, too. Yeah. Uh, the question I'm trying to ask is, how did you make money taking How you make money? Mainly off the juice. In other words, if you get, in other words, you get five people betting on one team and five people are betting against that team, right? Well, anyhow, how it comes out, you end up with the juice from them betting on it. They may win the game, but you're winning the juice. You're getting all this juice from all these other people. So what's uh, what? What is the, in layman's term? What is the juice? You you're making money from it. It's the interest you make. So are you are you charging? Is there a chargeback for placing the bet? Yeah, there's a charge for placing the bet. Okay, right. So let's you're say making, I want to $1,000 on KC. Um, what would the charge be? Uh, well, back then it was 10%. Hmm. You get enough people that adds up pretty fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially if you, if you have a huge... And then the other thing was, I don't know whether you guys ever heard of them, football pools. Yeah. Yeah. Where they, they come out and you people bet the football pools, right? And um, we made money from that, too. You take four teams, it's all for how much money you bet. You know what I mean? Four teams, I think it was uh, $50. You got, I can't remember anymore. But um, you got $50 if you bet a dollar on or something, right? Well, then, you know, you could do you could do $10,000, $20,000 a week in those things. Whew. That's nice money. You know what? Yeah, I, miss, I do miss the money. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I miss it, too. <laughs> I didn't make my money that way, but, gee, I miss it. Uh, yeah, that's right. Now, Judy no. Fay, who used to be here on True Crime Uncensored, our one female co-host years ago, she mm -hmm. was married to Joey Fay, 
the famous comedian who created Slowly I Turned, inch by inch, oh, okay. step, yeah. step by step, Niagara, Niagara Falls. <laughs> Right. And he right. was a gambling addict, man. He he bet on all the uh, uh, the football games. In right. his book, he told him, don't bet on Monday nights. You're going to lose. Right. Whatever it is, you're going to lose on Monday night. Don't bet right. on Mondays. Bet any other day right. but Mondays. So he'd bet any other day but Mondays, and he'd make a lot of money, and then he'd put it on the Monday night game and lose it. <laughs> Why I don't know. They told him, "Don't bet on Monday night. You're gonna yeah. whatever it is, you're gonna lose." Phil Silvers was another one. It was right. totally right. into that, and uh, it was well. a tragic story. Well, maybe maybe his uh, TV show was more realistic. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sergeant, probably. You know. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, we made money from that, but the vending machines is where we made a lot of money. Oh, really? How'd that work? Oh. <clears throat> The vending machine was like uh, you own vending machines, right? Yeah. You put them in bars. You lend them money, right? Um, say a guy wants to open up a bar, right? Well, yep. he's got the liquor license and stuff. Um, anyhow, he um, he needs twenty thousand dollars, right? So you give him the twenty. You put your machines in there. You get him to sign a contract for four years, right? Uh, you know what a vending machine is, right? Yeah, sure. Okay, the poker machine. Well, anyhow, it's just like in the casinos. So anyhow, so what happens is you lend them that money, right? And it's a 50-50 split. You can set those machines from 60% to 90% payout, right? Mm -hmm. So anyhow, like when um, I was in the groove, um, one, of, one of the plus stops we had was Joe's Tavern, and we took in 16000 a week in that machine, you know, in, in the machines that were in there. So, yeah, yeah. But here's Miss Jacobson. She's going to add something. Hi there. How are you? Better and better every day in every way. Great to have you on the show. Right, thank you. So I just wanted to explain a little to your listeners. Um, when Charlie had these illegal slot machines, it was in the days before slot machines were, were legal anywhere in Maryland. And they were like slot machines without slots. <laughs> and the owners of the machines were on the honor system to report their income to the state of Maryland. Well, that makes perfect sense. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so, Charlie would, he would empty the machine uh, before before there was a raid by the state or the city police. Because you're always alerted to those. So there was millions of dollars, <laughs> so millions of dollars went into the, to the owners of the slot machines which were taxed Free. Can you imagine a casino with slot machines where they didn't have to pay taxes on any of the money? That's what Charlie has. And I wrote in a book, it's like putting guys, guys I hung with in a bank. Yeah. And telling them to give me an honest count at the end of the week. Sure. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Similar to yeah. the scrap business. What our inventory was was whatever the hell we said it was. That's right. That's exactly how it worked with the, with the vending machines. Absolutely. How they yeah. gonna how they gonna check our inventory? They can't because well, it changes they, they every day. And, and um, anyhow, Miss Jackson actually did a report about poker machines here in Maryland uh, before the the casinos came in. And um, anyhow, and she did a, a fantastic job with it. And it was millions of dollars they figured the state was losing. Oh hell yeah, yes. Yeah, we uh, we had the help of an interesting. There's an was an FBI forensic examiner named Doug Dunlap. He was a, he was he had been a vice cop in Baltimore County, and he was an expert on illegal gambling. And he helped me figure out how many millions of dollars 
were earned from this business tax-free. That's a heck of a deal. The underground economy keeps this country going. (laughs) Well, that's a tragic story. Uh, I've done a lot of research on the uh, uh, Russian mob. Uh, There's a fantastic, if you want to go online and and search for it, I can't give you the link right now. But there was, (laughs) this is very clever. There is uh, some, some individual, some expert on economics or whatever, that every year comes up with a, a plan, uh, kind of like a homework assignment, where he gives you the situation of, of, of the particular business, and then you're supposed to figure out how to increase their revenue, how to solve their cash flow problems. Well, right. one year, he picked the Russian mob. And this was really <laughs> fascinating. Is that over 60%, about 62% of Russia's economy is the Russian mob. Right, right, right. So it's totally tied in with the government. But the problem is, is the worse things get economically, the more people join the mob. The more people who join the mob, the worse the economy gets. Worse the economy gets, right. Yeah, so it's like this downward spiral. So this is what we're trying to fix in this make-believe scenario that people were assigned. How do you fix this? And I don't... When I was younger, right, like 16, 17, they never had the lottery here. But yeah. it was a whole lot of bookmaking, right? Uh-huh. So what happens is uh, the state comes up with the idea they're going to have uh, a legal lottery. It's going to put the, all the bookmakers out of business. Yeah, right. right. But what happens is the, the illegal lottery went off the racetrack, right? And you got the numbers from the racetrack, you know, from the paramutuals. I forget how to do it anymore, but it was, started out with Meyer Lansky. Yeah. So anyhow, so they said, well, we're going to, we're going to put the bookmakers out of business. Well, back then, you know, the number coming from the track, you could basically tell people any number. They wouldn't know how to do it, right? Right. So, anyhow, when the Maryland Lottery come in, right, it didn't put us out of business. It made us even better because <laughs> people could see what the real number was <laughs> on TV. So it even made it better for us. Gee, that was awful nice of them. I can remember we had, uh, in my book, uh, I was like a plug by my own books. In my book, uh, uh, Headlock was a private eye mystery where I'm the hero. And the reason I wrote a book with me being the hero is nobody else was going to do it. So it was up to me, right? In <laughs> that, I, I talk about the punch boards. That, that were exi- you were saying the punch boards. I don't, I don't know exactly what they are. Uh, you take a little metal thing and you poke a hole in it. <laughs> And you pull out yeah, okay. whether you win something or not. Now, those Is were... a card? Uh, like a little squiggly thing comes out. It's just like a big board. You punch it, right? Huh. Punch these little holes Never in it. Never heard of that. Well, they're, yeah, I'm not, I'm they were controlled by the, controlled by the uh, gambling uh, commission, right? And they were, uh, they were okay. kind of illegal. <laughs> right, right. And uh, yeah. uh, just before the inspector was going to be coming around, the chief of police would come in to the pastime cafe where they, uh, and bar where they, they had these punch boards and say, ah, the gambling guy's coming next Tuesday. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And they'd take him down yeah. and put him back up when the guy left. Uh, but everyone uh, was in yeah. on that sort of thing. I mean, there's a certain a certain amount of corruption keeps this economy going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, a, not too much. Too much, it goes sideways. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, that's the same way as us. Is, um, you know, we knew ahead of time when they were going to raid the poker machines. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times we didn't even have a license for a poker machine, which you're supposed to have. 
So when we find out the next stop they're going to, take the license from one truck machine, go over to that place. Right, the just swap them out. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what we did. Yep, sure did. Yep. Then again, we had them on the take, too. We had a few of them on the take. Of course. That, um, you know what I mean? That's how we knew what was happening. And um, they were actually in the vending machine business themselves. <laughs> well, that, that's not unusual. Uh, if you've uh, heard our buddy Punch, uh, the Diamond Thief uh, guy, uh, high school. Uh, yeah, you know, they'd always leave out uh, tens of thousands of dollars worth of jewelry for the cops when they came to investigate right. the heist. They'd be, right. you know, the security guy would show up his, you know, thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars in diamond roof right on the floor left for him, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, Same thing know, with the uh, uh, drug smugglers. I knew a guy who used to smuggle great amounts of marijuana, and they would purposely leave like a giant bale of marijuana out so the so the law enforcement couldn't miss it. Right? Right. So they could have their pictures taken, look what we got. Right? Right. That would keep them happy, and then you go about your business. Uh, it's a very, right. Yep. Well, that's yeah. why, you know, you've got the law enforcement against prohibition. We've had those uh, law enforcement guys on the show for years. It's just like prohibition. You know, they thought that would stop all sorts of problems to uh, make alcohol uh, illegal, but it just, <laughs> just the opposite. Right. That's right. It's the opposite. I agree with you. Yep, I agree with you. It's a strange, yep. strange, strange situation. A friend of mine went down to Brazil, and uh, there were some forms and documents he needed to have done, and so he's paying his lawyer money. And the guy's not doing anything. <laughs> Man, he had to have, like, exit visas to get out of the country. Guy wasn't doing any of this. So my my buddy had a very simple solution. He beat the holy crap out of the guy. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and boy, yeah, sure enough, go. they got those visas. <laughs> he paid all that that's money, right. but nothing was being done. Yep, that's right. That's just like uh, we have guys that we go to uh, state, what the federal prisons, and um, you know our our local politicians and our and congressmen and stuff. Well, if they want us to be moved, all you have to do is put that money up there, and you get them moved. Isn't it we'll amazing? Absolutely yep. amazing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because uh, if he was in Texas, well, he'd want to go somewhere else. He'd get bored there. Then he go to Otisville, New York, or to Allenwood, stuff like that. But, you know, each, each time you got to pay off. Now, your yeah. beloved, uh, well, you've had more than one wife, right? you got two? Not, not the same yeah, time. Yeah, my, my first wife passed away. Oh, yeah. she just said, yeah, she got some horrible illness. Yeah, she had lupus. Yeah, sure So did my sister. My sister had Is that. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Terrible so, disease. Actually, well, actually... Uh, my sister was, I think, the first person ever... It used to be the only know you had it after it went into the autopsy. You didn't right. have a test for it or anything. When they finally came right. up with a test for it, I think my sister was the first person diagnosed with lupus. Wow. And they gave her six months wow. to live. So my that's sister... So that's what... Yeah. Uh, they gave her six months, so she had a plan. And that was to mm -hmm. max out all of her visa cards... And to have sex with every human being on the planet, cool. and then die, die in six months and not have to pay back the visa cards, because she'd be dead. Right. <laughs> Which she thought was a great plan. What she didn't right. count on was going into remission. Right. <laughs> oh, was she pissed off? Oh, damn, yeah. She lived another 30 years. My dad had to bail her out on all the visa cards. <laughs> Yeah, that. <laughs> and then actually yeah. later, later she got cancer, and they said, "We well, got bad news for you. 
uh, you know, you've got cancer and blah, blah. She goes, yeah, so? She wasn't, wasn't impressed. She said, aren't you concerned? She says, I'm already dying of one fatal disease. What the hell difference does another one make? <laughs> Why don't they give me more credit? <laughs> yeah. So she lived another 30, 40 years after that. Yeah, well, she's just quite a well. character. We got a kick out of her. Uh, the only tragic part of the story is, you know, it's, it's hereditary and runs in families and stuff. Um, yeah. How about breathing? Yeah. Uh, cousin, uh, a female, uh, had all the same symptoms. My sister kept saying, she's got lupus, she's got lupus. And they say, oh, you think just because you have it, everybody has it. No, she did have it. Unfortunately, she right. uh, she died from it. She didn't get any, any treatment or anything. Really on it, yeah, there's two different types. Um, yeah, back then, it was a type that attacked your body from the outside in. And my wife had the worst kind. It was from the inside out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a uh, trick. But, um, you know, a lot of people live with it. They, they've made a lot of progress with it. Yeah, they actually call it the lone wolf disease. The what disease? The lone wolf disease. Why is that? Um, Warren Williams? Uh, what, 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 what? I don't know. Um, I know that when they do tests on, the, on, her, on one of my wife was alive, when they did a test, it would come back positive, and then it would come back negative. Ah. And, uh, oh, yeah, goodness. so that was a problem. Yep. Yeah, they used to do all these blood tests and stuff on her, and this would be up high and it would be low, and all yeah, that crap. Yep. Yeah, tragic. Yep. It's a rough yep. disease. Very few men get it. But uh, Mr. Right. Blackwell, the guy who was always the uh, fashion expert, he had it also. Right. But uh, right. mostly, uh, hey, mostly. Bro, well, I'm thinking I'm going to give you a story that you'll love this one. All right. That one, I was, I was um, in Alabama. Had been there probably two months. It was around Easter, and anyhow, um, the FBI had actually told my son he had to leave Baltimore and go to to Alabama with me because it was getting too dangerous. They got some word. Well, anyhow, it is pouring down rain. I don't want to call the agents because it's it's you know it's Easter weekend. Yeah. My son calls me from Natural Bridge, Virginia, tells me that his vehicle had broke down. Meantime, I get a call. Well, I called up north there, and guys are telling me my son's being followed, right, mm. by some guys. So anyhow, I didn't know what to do, so I said, you know what? I told my wife, I'm going to go get him. My wife's all scared and everything. So I had to drive from Alabama to Natural Bridge, Virginia. But what I did, I called the uh, Virginia State Police. Yeah. And the only thing I told him was my name was Warlock, and I was a federal witness, and I needed help. And I explained the situation to him. Well, like I said, it's pouring down rain. Uh, the state trooper, the young guy, shows up. I tell him the story. He said, please don't tell me that. I told him that my son's being followed. He said, please don't tell me that. He, the guy was scared to death. Oh, boy. Well, then about, he said, just sit in your vehicle. I'll get back to you. About a half hour later, there's probably... I don't know, 15 state troopers come. They surround this hotel. It's in a field like it's a little rinky-dink hotel. Um, they were more scared than my son and I was. <laughs> and they had shotguns out. It's pouring down rain. They got lights shining and everything. And what they did, they blocked off 81 so no one could get on 81 when I was heading back home. Each huh. car would drop back off. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, that, was, that wasn't in the book either. Uh, that's a good story. Um, why you had the name Warlock? Um, yeah, you know why I got the name Warlock, right? Nah, that's because you were so charming. Because <laughs> uh, no. he was a magician. Uh, the FBI agent, Tom McNamara, who was my handler, Yeah. well, um, I was so worried about people finding out what was going on. So Tom was watching the movie Bewitched. I mean, the show Bewitched. Yeah. So he came up with the word Warlock. So every time I would call the FBI, um, I would say my name was Warlock. So that was my code name. For uh, 
for the FBI. So no one knew it was me. Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> I could be in trouble. This could yeah. <laughs> now, now it's the secret's out. You're doomed yeah, now. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> They'll be coming yeah. after you. Now, you, you and uh, your best buddy there, Billy Isaac, were a good. Right. You were good pals there for a while. Oh, I tell you what, I um, you know, it's like this when you start out, girl. Um, you know, you. You're you're inseparable, right? He was my family. I thought he was my family. But then once you start making money and everything, things start to change. Yeah. You know what I mean? People start getting greedy. You yeah. know, just like it was with John Gotti and Sammy Gravano. Yeah. You know, people start getting jealous. Um, you know, you can't make a move without someone else uh, wanting a piece of the action. They're called kicking it up. Um, but, yeah, Billy and I were inseparable. I mean, we were a team, too, to be challenged. Um, you know, I mean, we we were a team, but he just started getting nuts, man. He he was getting off the hook. Yeah. And he, and I just I just didn't want to do it anymore. I was tired of it. Yeah. Well, you sound yeah. a lot like uh, Ken Urell. <laughs> yeah, Ken's a nice guy. I'll tell you that. Oh, he sure is. Yeah, I did I did a book with Ken on. Uh... Right. Yeah, I just read your book. That was a good book. Thank you. Everyone should buy yeah. it. <laughs> hey, Pearl. Yeah. A little more self-promotion? What's yeah, a little more blatant self-promotion. Buy my book and buy Charlie's book. <laughs> well, what's the name yeah. of the book? Yeah, that was a good book. I'll tell you what, uh, I wish I'd had some of them guys in my crew. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Nothing like a good crooked cop. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, Michael kind of went the way uh, that uh, Billy did. Uh, started getting crazier and crazier. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's yeah. when you reach the point where you're going, uh, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now yep. let's. Uh, and, I knew, and I actually, I'll text Ken and told Ken. I said, Ken, don't you be ashamed about nothing. You know, just like me, I used to think those guys were my family. I said at the end, your your wife and children are your family. That's who you take care of. Yeah. That's who your family. Is. Yeah. When it comes, when push comes to the proverbial shove, that's what it comes down to. You got to set your priorities and uh, what it is in your life you really value. That's right. And yeah. you know what, girl? Well, most of these guys get locked up anyway. Um, you know, and they're facing time. They end up telling. They end up telling anyway. You know what I mean? You just don't know it. And um, you know, if I, I tell you, if I'd have got jacked up on charges, I'd have never told nothing on nobody mm -hmm. because I came in in my own free will. You see what yeah. I'm saying? If I'd have got, if I'd have got banged for uh, bank robbery or or something, I'd have never told on nobody. I'd have taken the hit. What? Yeah, uh, I just had to change. Now, like I said, I didn't have no charges against me when I came in, so it was on my terms. Yeah, and then when I came in, you know, the FBI, they were they were so good to me. You know what I mean? They made me part of another team. Um, and that you know, people talk about them. You know um, how bad they are. They get they get bad raps and stuff. I'm telling you, Burl, and, and I'm not just saying it. They're the most honest people I ever met in my life. And that's the God's honest truth. And like I tell people this, if your child gets kidnapped, the first one you're calling is 911. You know what your second phone call is? The FBI. To the FBI to find your child. Yep. That's right. That's for sure. You know, it was fascinating. In New York City, uh, E.W. Count uh, had an Edgar Award-winning book on true stories of the uh, NYPD or whatever several years ago. Right. Talked about the kidnappings. Kidnappings became a big thing between the different gangs. They would right. kidnap members of other gangs and hold them for ransom. <laughs> and oh, the FBI ransom. would get in there and try to, because kidnapping is kidnapping no matter who's doing it. 
That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you know, kidnap. Most of the time, you get caught on them. Bank robberies. Most of the time, you get caught on it. I think it's a ninety percent conviction rate on both of them. Yeah, you yeah. got ten, 10 years statute of limitations on bank robbery, seven years on most everything else, 10 years on bank robbery. Is that what it, I don't even know. I never yeah. robbed a bank, so I wouldn't know that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, know, I know that one because I know people who've robbed banks. I know that ours is only <laughs> seven years there. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I talk to a lot of people, a lot of criminals. You know, I, being a true crime investigator, I, I, of course, get information from law enforcement, but I found out right. I get more information, more accurate information from the criminals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's because they know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah of course. And the, hey, I'll tell you, when I was younger, guys used to say to me, you know, I was like 18, 19 years old, and, um, you know, these guys um, were like in their 40s and 50s. Well, they just finished up doing, you know, they've done 10, 15, 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. And the guys would say, you know, listen to this guy. He knows what he's talking about. And I'd say, are you out of your mind? He just got done doing 15 years. He don't know too much. I'm still 15 with him. That's right. I I told my buddy Punch, the diamond thief mastermind, (laughs) he's a great guy. I tell him, I said, you know, your rap sheet is not a resume. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's everything you failed at because you got caught. (laughs) And you got caught. That's right. And I'll tell you, Burrow, I, I think I've only got two things on my record. And that's it. Yep. Because, I, I was, like I said, I stayed one step ahead of him. Um, you know, like when, when Billy was going to trial one time, right, he wants everybody to to come to his trial, right? In the meantime, they got the guy who's going to testify against him. They got him so so mingled up in the courtroom, the guy's scared to death to testify. But I wouldn't show up for the trial. Because I told Billy, I said, you know what? All you're doing is asking for trouble. They're probably taking pictures of us all. Oh, sure. Leave the court. And I said, I'm not doing that. So when he got he got banged again, um, no, he got banged. And what happened was um, he ends up getting um, home detention, federal home detention. So anyhow, I wouldn't come over to his house. He said, Troy, you got to come over. I said, no, I'm not doing that. I said, because it draws too much attention. Right. Well, he decides to fix up the house. And so I went over there as a contractor. Well, that's the only way we would go over there because I didn't want to be having pictures taken of me and putting, you know, the FBI putting two and two together. Yeah. You did plenty of business with boosters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's big here. Dad, tell, tell us yeah. a little bit how that worked for you. Well, here's what happens. It's just like um, you get somebody that they're professional thieves. Right. Is what they are. And um, anyhow, I actually know a lady now that you would never even know it. Um, but she's a professional thief. You can give her a size of any suit, whatever you want, right? She will have that for you by the end of the day. And if something costs $500, you pay $100 for it. Right. And then you can probably get it cheaper than that sometimes. But, yeah, they're, at, they're, they're just professionals. At it. I know a guy who actually dressed up as a mailman. He did all kinds of things. Dressed up as a woman and stuff like that, but he made a lot of I know of a lot of guys that dress up like women, too, man. <laughs> but that's well, a whole other scene. <laughs> well, it's criminal because of the way they look. <laughs> so, anyhow, but, uh, yeah, so the boosters, um, they, um, but a lot of them are drug addicts. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, anyhow, so that's how that all works. Yeah, there was a... Uh, uh, <laughs> I won't get into it. There's a lot of scams. Like, um, I'll give you, I'll give you an, a, for instance, 
like Billy and I, you know, it wasn't we did we did scams too because um, you know, there was all these guys that were wannabes. They thought they were gangsters and stuff. The one time Billy and I got in a fight at this bar, right guy, a doorman asked us to help him. So anyhow, we beat these guys up really bad, Burl, right? Mm -hmm. So and the owner of the bar, right, he's he's crying and stuff. I remember slapping him, telling him to shut up and just call ambulances and the police and stuff because the guys were really hurt bad. So anyhow, um, the next day I'm across the street from his place and I'm going on that damn Larry. I'm telling you, man, I'm going to get him. And so what I did, I got on the phone and said, pretended I was some of these bikers mm -hmm. and called him up and said, you know, you beat up our guys. We're coming back. It wasn't 10 minutes later. Here comes Larry through the door saying, you guys got to help me. Well, anyhow, we ended up shaking them down. We got a thousand a week, and plus, um, I had to get somebody to help us. So, the guys got to drink for free on top of it until we finally caught on to it that it wasn't nobody <laughs> coming back together. I, I got to tell you what, you'll probably get a kick out of. I know, uh, I know a lot of working girls, right? Right. And this one got robbed by this Russian fella. Came to uh -huh. see her, then stole the money, and took off. Well, she right. had his phone number. Gave me the phone number. I called Daniel Jennings in New York, speaks Russian, and had him call the guy. And in Russian, read him the riot act. The guy, almost in tears, goes back to the girl and gives her the money back. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I say. A lot of it's all scams, you know what I mean? Like, you know, little Italy, little Italy here, they all say they're gangsters and stuff like that. Well, here's what would happen. They'd hire... They'd hire me and Billy to go and collect their money. You yep. know, people owed them. So we would say, if they owed $10,000 to the guy, you know, Billy and I would say, we want half the money. Well, you make sure he's going to pay. Well, we catch the guy. guy be scared of that. Say, look, I don't care whether you pay or not. We just have to make arrangements for you to pay. Right? The guy get on the phone and say, yeah, I'm going to have your money next Friday. Well, we go back and one of the, you know, the guy hired us. Well, we get our 5000 Well, next week, the guy's calling us again. That guy ain't paid. Well, you know what? Another 5000 we'll go talk to him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, as Bob Dylan said, to live outside the law, you must be honest. And therein, yeah. lies, therein <laughs> lies the problem. You start talking about the greed and all that stuff that goes on in a lot of American crime. And that was a situation that didn't exist with my buddy Punch and his dad and their crews. They had six crews doing uh, Diamond Heights, et cetera, the uh, Diamond District in New York. And uh, you could come in and just do one heist and get your money and never do it again. Never do it again. And just take that money, put it in real estate or whatever. And, no, uh, no. And no. fascinating thing is his dad, who was doing heists from 19... Uh, well, he came here in 57, I think, was doing them... Uh, by sixty, by the sixties, retired in two thousand three. Never arrested, never prosecuted, never went to prison. Wow, wow! So yeah, his, his son, who wanted to be the world's greatest thief, could never compete with that because he got caught. Right. <laughs> his dad never yeah. did. And I tell you, I remember actually saying when I was younger, "I make my first fifty thousand, I'm out." Yeah, right. And I remember making my first fifty thousand. Couldn't wait to try to make the second one. That's right. That's right. I mean, I often yeah. asked. Uh, punch, say you guys were already millionaires. You didn't need to do this, right? Yep. They were doing yep. it for fun. They loved it. It was it yep. was a or rush better than any drug. Yep. It, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I find it amazing they take those uh, risks. But then again, they, you know, there's what's called criminal pride. 
that is like, say a guy's going to do uh, whatever job he's going to do, right? And he right. plans it out in detail. You know, just really prepares. And it works perfectly. Does it again. Works perfectly. After a while, he stops doing the intricate planning because somehow he thinks it's him. That right. Somehow he's got some magic touch or something. Well, no, it's right. because he planned everything perfectly. He gets sloppier right. and sloppier and sloppier because of his criminal pride and gets caught. Yep. So yep. Well, where did I go I, wrong? <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's true, bro. Yeah, that and is absolutely true. That's why I was... Yep. The, uh, Bart told this story about the bank robber that, <laughs> that uh, goes into the bank. Uh, there was a... Uh, <clears throat> I worked for uh, financial institutions for uh, 20 years. Tell the story again, And uh, I worked uh, a lot of fraud detection. And right. there's a, there was a lot of very sophisticated uh, uh, schemes to rob the bank. And there was some individuals that were just beyond stupid. <laughs> so this one... It's fella, hard to hear you. So this one fella goes into a branch... With his, uh, right. with his gun and his mask and everything, he gets everyone down, goes to the far right, says, okay, every, <clears throat> give me all the cash, leave the trip bill in the drawer. Oh. Uh, there's a, yeah. yeah. Okay, he goes to every drawer, gets to the end, and has the teller do that, and says, okay, count it for me. So she counts it out. He hands her a deposit slip. <laughs> And she said, she's looking at it, and, and she fills it out, hands him the receipt, and he leaves. Well. You know, I put well. the money in my account. Isn't it mine? <laughs> <laughs> there was a lady well. who worked for what was called First Interstate Bank. I don't know what, you know, those banks keep buying each other out. <laughs> and for years, she'd been doing just like Richard Pryor in Superman 3, taking those... You know, uh, oddball little extra pieces of Fractional money. Fractional portions of whatever. Yeah, and right. putting them in a hidden account. And she never took a vacation, you know. <laughs> but this was really well hidden in her computer. You would have to, if you were looking for it, you couldn't find it. That she, sounds like my wife and her money. Yeah. <laughs> so she finally takes a vacation. She's flying with her family to Hawaii. When she gets to Hawaii, the feds are there waiting for her. What happened was oh. the temp worker sat down and put her hands on the keyboard and purely by the most random chance in the universe hit the exact combination oh. of keys that opened up the hidden account. Oh, God. <laughs> That's like divine yeah. intervention. Yeah. <laughs> but a, lo a lot of times that kind of embezzling, no one finds out about it. We had a, uh, one in Walla Walla well, this lady was embezzling from the, the city water department, some, something like that. I mean, a fortune. And they caught her. And they did no publicity on it at all. Because well, if people would well, lose... They just, had a mayor here. they just had a mayor in Baltimore just got busted with the same thing with her healthy Holly book. She's going to jail next month. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, she was selling healthy Holly books. Her books. Yeah. Like the University of Maryland and stuff. <clears throat> and um, no one received any books. Oh, well, that's not right. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> there was a guy who was doing the most horrible scams for millions of dollars, targeting a widows and widowers whose husband or wife had just passed away. And wow. call up and be just so friendly with them 
give them someone to talk to, say, you know, you could make money uh, putting money into foreign lotteries, which, of course, is illegal. You can't put money in foreign lotteries. Right. But uh, she, he or she would tell them that they could, and they would, and then they say, guess what? You won. But tell you what, uh, let's reinvest that money in some more foreign lottery tickets. In fact, I'll send you a form to sign to authorize us to do that. And that's a, a power of attorney. And it was a power of attorney form. Right. And they take every last cent that person had. Yeah. That's sad. It's really tragic. And how they happened to catch the person was someone paid $12.40, I think, for one of those you know ads you see that classifies it. The secret of winning lotteries, pay $12.40 and we'll send you the formula. She paid her $12.40 and never got anything. So she complained to the postal inspectors. Well... It's their job to follow up on that stuff, and it was the same guy. And oh, that's wow. how they got him. Uh, well, But the law on that wasn't strong enough, really. I think the guy did 18 months in minimum security. He still had millions and millions and millions of dollars stashed in banks all over the world. They were able, the feds were able to get uh, several million out of a bank account in Bellevue, Washington, the, uh, in the UK, uh, they did civil case against him looking for bank accounts. There's like 44 million out of the UK that he took. Well, wow. uh, but and, but I always wonder about the people who are so willing to work with him. Or what do we do for a living here? Well, we rob old people of all their oh, life savings. Oh, sounds fine yeah. to me. You know, I mean, what kind of yeah. person does that? You know, uh, right. so, Earl. Yeah. yeah, one of my favorites from my childhood when I was working at McDonald's as a teenager. Um, uh, they, an organized gang, uh, recruited uh, teenagers, you know, like me, except I wasn't involved, um, and taught them how to add and subtract accurately and quickly. And then they would they would go out and get jobs at fast food restaurants in Los Angeles. And what they would do is you would order your food. Let's say the order actually cost $6.70. They would say it was $8.50. And the customer would pay, and then the extra money would be remembered, what the difference was. At the end of that particular morning, afternoon, or dinner rush, a shill would show up and order, uh, you know, something small, and the change return would be the amount of overcharge. Oh, Clever, right. and they, uh, they're and these these teenagers. Their drawers were always to the penny because they had to be accurate to not arouse suspicion. How did someone get suspicious? Uh, <coughs> I guess okay? they axed out the, the registers instead of the amount. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the registers were correct because the correct amount the business was owed right. was in the drawer. Um, uh, several um, several managers from uh, different fast food restaurants around where I worked in Encino on, uh, started to notice that the amounts being quoted were too high, and they would correct the cashier, the person doing the, and then they would get the amount that they apologized to the customer, and they would get the correct amount, and then they were at some event. And they just happened to be talking, and the 
four or five of them looked at each other and go, what? And that's eventually what got the police involved. And uh, it was a major stain over months. It's amazing how these things come down. There was one that uh, Fred Wolfson, our buddy who was a private eye, called in, I think it was by Bembridge Jewelers, to find out what the hell was going on. Someone would come in and they'd buy lots of jewelry. They'd use a, a credit card, Visa, you know, card, MasterCard. Right. And they'd call in, you know, and they'd get the code number, you know, for the thing to go through. And it would go through fine. And it would get kicked back at the end of the month. But the people already got the jewelry. Right. But they had had people working inside of Visa, MasterCard, who were giving out these fake numbers of authorizations. Right. Yeah. And uh, when when, uh, Fred busted that one up, he was contacted by, uh, might have been the Secret Service or somebody came to him and said, don't talk about this. You could not mention this. You can't go public because it would undermine the public's confidence in the credit system. In the credit system. So it was. Right. It wasn't until uh, years and years later, decades later, that uh, we right. revealed this one. Because he was told well. he had a, if he if he revealed it, he'd be in big trouble. <laughs> yeah. The hell. Yeah. The hell with freedom of the press and the people's right. Oh yeah, right. People's right to know. Yeah, that's, that's the guy who wrote Dark Alliance. <laughs> well, someone was so impressed the other day that I had had Freeway Ricky Ross on the show. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know who he is. Freeway, Freeway Ricky, Ricky Ross, Ross is the guy who made millions uh, selling crack cocaine here in L.A., not knowing that it was being, oh, supply- right? not being supplied by the U.S. government. <laughs> oh. <laughs> to, to fund the... Uh, Air America? Yeah, to fund the country. Air contract. America, yeah. Okay, yeah. And uh, he didn't yeah. know that until he was already... He got life in prison, but the Ricky Ross task force that arrested him, they all went to prison, too, because they were corrupt and got caught. So because yeah. of that, they reduced the sentence to 25 years, and then they just let him out. <laughs> wow. Wow. And he's got a book out co-written by Kathy Scott, who's a good friend of ours. Fascinating book. It's his entire bio. And this guy went all the way through high school without ever knowing how to read. That's amazing. Functional illiterate? Yeah, well, he was a good, real good tennis player. And so they just kept him rolling because of his sports power. He didn't learn to that read until he was in prison. <laughs> yeah, that happened in a lot of schools and stuff. It sure does. Yeah, it didn't yeah. happen to mine. Uh, it happened in mine. <laughs> I, was, I needed a, <laughs> I, uh, an English elective. Yeah, you had an English elective? I needed an English elective, and when I showed up, it was the entire football team and me. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I pretty much knew what uh, was going to happen in this class. Yeah, did you get a good grade? The Amer- I didn't even have to show up. <laughs> hey, Burl, before we get off here, is there anything else you want to ask me about the book? Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask a couple of questions about you. Sure. Uh, your father was a police officer. Yes, he was. So uh, he was, the, was he a canine? He was in the canine. Then um, um, he, the canine, he ended up with officers from the dog and went into another precinct. Uh, did you ever get? Did you did you enjoy the dog, or was that something? Oh yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, I remember um, the pol- You know, the other ones that were on the um, canine unit would come and make me and my brother eat dog food, kidding around. <laughs> wow, it's just lovely. Uh, oh so- yeah, but I tell you what, I do remember. I remember one time my father used to open up his car door, right, 
and he would just tell the dog, which name was Jet, to, you know, just point his finger and say, get in, the, get in the car, right? Well, I remember I got mad at my father, and I put a cat in the car the night before. Oh, cool. And the dog went in there and tore the cat up, and my father thought it was the next-door neighbor. Well, not that he lived two doors down, Mr. Drulard. And my father wanted to go down and, and bust him up as a cop. And it was me the whole time. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so where I was heading with this is your father is a police officer. Right. Um, how do you choose the other side of the track? What do you mean, how do I choose? Well, okay, so your father's, on, your father's a cop, and he's uh, essentially on yeah, the law-abiding side force. of the equation. He left the police force after 10 years, right. got involved with all these guys in construction and stuff, right? He ended up being a, um, some sort of uh, guy with the AFL-CIO after construction. And um, anyhow, so he's the one that brought me into that life. Because when, um, you know, things were going on, my father didn't say, you know, that you shouldn't do this or don't listen to those guys. He always praised those guys. And like I said, that's the way my father was. Um, I have no animosity. That's the way he brought us up. And, you know, I'm not upset about it or anything. He's my father. Hmm. That's a strange combination. But that happens. Yeah. I want. I want. We got uh, enough time. I want to talk a little bit about when you wore a wire and and uh, following up on this murder. Right. And you wanted to get the guy to talk about the murder. You didn't know if he would. But right. <laughs> once he started, <laughs> what was it like? You couldn't shut the guy up. I couldn't shut him up. And here's what happened: is the second time I couldn't shut him up. So anyhow. Um, I, I had left and turned the tape into uh, an FBI agent, Steve Clary, and I told Steve I was going back to the guy's house to find out what was going on. Well, when I went back a second time, Billy was already there telling him, don't trust me, right, because Billy was on to me then, right? And I had a recording piece in my pocket, Ooh. and John went into me and felt that recording piece, but he never knew it was a recorder. Oh, boy. But uh, the guy wouldn't shut up. But here's another thing, girl. They weren't allowed to use that tape recorder in court. Why they weren't not? allowed to use none of that. Not against Billy. Not against Billy. Hmm. But they were... Yeah. What happened was is that there was some sort of law. It was um, Baltimore County detectives involved in it, right? Mm -hmm. And those things have to be, have a serial number and have to be reported to the state police. Well, nobody reported it to the state police. Ah. But they were able to, to read what was on it. They weren't allowed to listen to it, but they uh, were able to read. Get a transcript. Yeah. 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 But can I add later, in Billy's case, the tape could not be used, but later, the man on the tape, John Derry, mm. pled guilty, and the prosecutor read the transcript from John Derry telling Billy that he was involved in the murder. So it was eventually used, but it got complicated with this number not being on tape to the tape recorder. Yeah, some of that stuff gets pretty iffy. Oh, yeah, and I'll tell you another thing. Uh, you know, working with the FBI and stuff, you know, um, I, it was an adrenaline thing, too. I mean, I wanted to change my life, but it was the same amount of adrenaline when I was a bad guy. And those guys made me like, because, see, my life, I always had a gang, you know, or they were my family, right? Mm. But what happened was the FBI had, had made it so that I became part of their family life. In other words, they always praised me for doing something good and stuff like that, which they didn't do on the bad side. You know, uh -huh. either you're kicking me up. But these guys always praised me, said, Charlie, you're doing a good job. 
And, you know, I, and like I said, I'm so fortunate I didn't have to do no, no time. I thought I was going to do 20, um, but I said if, we, if I do 20, you just make sure that everybody else does 20. Yeah. Don't make me the scapegoat. Well, I, one, I one thing I really appreciated in the book Wised Up, which is a great book, ladies and gentlemen, I suggest you buy it immediately, if not sooner. And that is... <laughs> Well, what was I going to say? I almost lost my, almost lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, what a great book this is, and then I lost my mind. Uh, well, say something else, and I'll think of it. But it was uh, fascinating to me that, I mean, uh, it's the same thing. I mean, it's whether you're, it's the same rush for you. Whether you're doing it for the, it still gives you that uh, adrenaline rush to feel like you're part of something. And, yep, yep. And, and oh, I know what it was. And that was, we offered you the witness protection program to go live somewhere else. You're going, why should I be the one to move? Uh, well, yeah. In other words, I had already been back here. Billy was coming out of prison. Then he told me to the U.S. Attorney's Office. And the guy that put you in the program, which I had not known anyway, because they tried to put it in me before. But anyhow, um, he said that Billy was coming out of jail. And I said, well, he said I had to move going to witness protection. And I said, I'm not moving. I've done the right thing here for 20 years or whatever many years it was. I said, you need to go and knock on every one of their doors. <laughs> Tell them to move. They got to move. <laughs> I love that. Tell them they got to move. I love yeah, that. I that. Yep. And I actually said to, you know, the guy from the Justice Department, if someone was threatening you, would you move? And he said, no, you got a point. Yep. That's right. So, Why should you let them yeah, control yeah. your life? Yep. And, um, you know, like I said, you know, I'm just at the point in my life is that I've done the right thing. And, um, you know, if I did something, and that's what I had told Steve, too. I said, look, you know, I've done everything I was supposed to do. And if if I didn't, then you guys, you know, you have every right to put me away. But I've done everything I said I was going to do. And he agreed with me. Yeah. Now, there's the, yep. uh, the FBI guy that you turned to that brought you in. Right. Is he still an FBI right. agent or is he retired? No, he's retired. He is actually retired. Um, he's been on forensic files I don't know how many times. And... Um, Anyhow, but yeah, he's retired, and you know we still remain we're real close friends. Um, most of the agents that I work with, I I'm good friends with them. Um, like a guy Doug I talked to last night was, you know, he's Baltimore County detective that followed me around. He ended up at the FBI, and um, I was talking to him last night. I'm always talking to one of them. You know, I mean, it's like they're my my friends there. Well, I'll tell you what, I got to pull Trump here. There's a favor I want you to do for me. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> <laughs> FBI arrest in 1970, I think. I give the exact date. Got the newspaper article that says FBI arrested this guy, blah, 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 blah. The guy never went to prison for what he was arrested for. It was, and it forms part of a book I'm doing. And so uh, I thought maybe one of the FBI guys could give me the, uh, could look it up and find out what happened to this guy. I mean, I know what happened to him later. He went to prison for all sorts of other stuff, but never that. So it's yeah, kind of I guess cute. we'll all go to jail together. They put out information like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being your cell buddy here, bro. <laughs> I can tell you right now. <laughs> Actually, we got hold of him, and he's going to write up his story on how he happened to get popped for that and what happened. But uh, it was to, right. kind of one of those bizarre little twists of a tale that we already had. It was kind of a this uh, asterisk, a little footnote. There was a, a twist to the tale that I wanted to follow up on. Anyway, I'll talk about the, that between you and I a little later on. <laughs> Once again, ladies and gentlemen, the book is called Wised Up, and it's a new edition, and it's a little bit bigger than the original. 
And uh, it's absolutely fascinating. And I guess you could order it through Amazon. Uh, You can actually go to wiseupthebook.com or to Amazon. Amazon. Wiseupthebook.com. And uh, is it also available in an electronic version or just in print? No, it's it's a paperback and e-book on Amazon. Either one. Well, either one, buy it, read it, believe it. It's a wonderful book, very well written and absolutely fascinating. And so you come, you, I'll write you a nice blurb that put up on the site for you there. Excellent. Thank, Thank you very you much for really joining. Thanks a lot for being on the show again. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Hey, Pearl. Yeah. What's next? Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence, live from the Lighting Up Lounge on Radio Live.com.